segment of Talking Points. Brian, we start our third segment of Talking Points from week 18 and we're still looking at the feel-good stories heading into the playoffs. You spoke about earlier how the Falcons had everything set up in front of them and at one stage they seemed to have control of the NFC South um, and then they slid at just the wrong time. The team that capitalised on that ultimately was the Buccaneers and uh, nobody more so than Baker Mayfield earned his million-dollar playoff bonus, which looked pretty unlikely at the start of the season, um, but there they are. Yeah, they've they've kind of started away in though, haven't they? Like it's kind of in the kind of the the reality of what we got next Monday night is a Bucks team that have kind of started away into the playoffs at the end and going against the Eagles team that have only won one of the last six games. But how many get rights games do the Eagles actually need to get right? So maybe the stone that'll be the get right. Giants, Giants, Cardinals. It's going to be a reflection of where the odds are in this game, though. If you look at the Queen Bet app or the website, you see that the Eagles are only minus two and a half point favourites. Like six or seven weeks ago, you would imagine that would have been a eight and a half, nine and a half type of game, but kind of a reflection of where both sides are. It's so many similarities, really, to last season with the Bucks winning division and the NFC East fifth seed, fifth, I suppose the fifth seed mid locked in with an NFC East team. They played a Monday night last year against the Cowboys. They're going to play the Eagles this week. Probably have a much better chance of beating the Eagles. But the, Baker Mayfield yesterday was clearly playing with with an injury. He obviously wanted to remain out there as as, as long as possible to make sure it won. He gets the bonus and two ultimately he leads his team to a victory. But we touched on it a couple of weeks ago and it's been very evident and we did a piece with Andrew Morgan with the Thursday Night Football and he's a big Bucks fan. The team have rallied around Baker Mayfield instantly since the day he went in there. And for a guy who had a kind of a different opinion across the league of where his head's at, whether he's a kind of a team player, he's kind of I don't know whether he's recognised this is Lot of serious opportunity to be a starting quarterback in the league, but he's he's taken an arm and he's gone in there and to see a team that are really engrossed in terms of how he is during the games. If he, if he goes down with a sack, the offensive line are over immediately getting them up. Like that's you recognise that type of team. We've seen it in London, in particular with Josh Allen and the and the offensive line. The players are rallying around him. It's a good sign for the team. And Mike Evans has had a fantastic season. Colin really calls out it's bizarre. He's no contract. He's going to be a free agent. He has had a quieter time of late. I, w- I wonder, I just wonder, is next week that breakout game again for him to come back and kind of show what he was doing earlier on in the in the season? But look, it's a great start in, in the division. Yet again, that we wrote them off to start the season, Connor. We didn't think none of us thought they were going to win it. We thought it was a, a rebuild, but they've proven us all wrong. We all had them in the 0 and 4 uh, bracket when we were we were projecting forward and we were all wrong. Very much so. And it's I don't know what it's in the manner of the division. We saw the Saints yesterday, like the Saints. No, we don't want to take away from the Bucks. They've won the division, but the Saints frustrated because they go out yesterday for 41 points. Your man Derek Carr was dealing. He was throwing dimes. He's on fire, but this is Derek Carr. He does it when they, really the pressure's off. Like, all three, they knew yesterday they weren't ever going to make the division. There was, I think they were being strung along by the, by the, by the Bucks, you know, for, for three quarters. It's just, it'd be interesting to see now next weekend. Like, the Bucks need to make it the step up to move on, win this game, or there's just going to be another case of another offseason where we say, oh, that's the NFC South. It take care of itself. Whoever gets them beats them. If they were to if they were to turn them over next week, maybe the eyes will be raised and they're a serious contender to go and potentially win a division around that. All right, that's the feel good teams, uh, Shane. As we enter the playoffs, a couple of teams who who are there and they're and they're in the dance, so they're not going to feel too unhappy, but who ended the season on perhaps a bit of a sour note. And, you know, this might seem a strange choice for some people, but I'm putting the Detroit Lions in that category because all right, they won the division, they have a chance to win their first playoff game since nineteen ninety one. Dan Campbell and his team have completely turned that thing around. However, you play your starters in week 18 at your peril. And they did have a chance to get the number two seed, a very unlikely 
um, outcome where they needed the Eagles and the Cowboys both to lose in the end. The Cowboys won and the Eagles lost. So the cost of playing your starters is Sam Laporta, your breakout tight end, one of the best rookie tight end seasons we've seen of all time, uh, broke the receiving record for rookie tight ends, but unfortunately now uh, is injured, as is Khalif Raymond, the dangerous uh, punt returner and, and wide receiver who's been a bit of a breakout player for them this season. Slight echoes, perhaps, of the Chargers last year who played their, their starters in Week 18 with nothing to play for and uh, ended up getting done in the playoffs by the Jaguars. I think somewhat similar to the Chargers, and uh, maybe I'm uh, I'm a denier or, or whatever. I think a lot of people are quite high on Dan Campbell. They love the fact that he goes for things. They love the fact that he's always about grit and, and you know, it's it's all or nothing. And that's fair enough that that kind of builds into the, the Detroit culture. I mean, you have to remember this is a team that, has only won their first divisional title in uh, since the NFC Central in 1993. So they don't take things for granted. But I think, you know, at times the decision-making of Dan Campbell uh, is what inspires them, but is also a liability. We saw that, I think, uh, from my point of view, I think the decision to go for a two-point conversion, especially when the second time around, when the first time they tried to didn't work out against the Cowboys, was a bad decision. You take your point, you try to get the overtime. I understand they were trying to get get a win. Again, it's kind of like Brian's point about Josh Allen. It depends on whether you've got that halo effect around you. Like, one quarterback throws an interception like Josh Allen did against the Dolphins and he's a liability. Josh Allen does it. He's a gunslinger. Brandon Saley calls all these fourth and shorts and doesn't get them. What does he do? And he's gone mad. Dan Campbell does it. Come on, he's a gambler. Yeah, that, that's there's a very fine line between being a genius and a gobshite, and and, and I think that Dan Campbell has uh, has shown that in the last uh, couple of weeks. And I think again, playing your starters against Minnesota, and I understand it's a pride thing, and that's not a I don't mean as a pun because it is well, only... Michael Irvin calls it mentality. <laughs> yeah, that but mentality. I understand that. Okay, they're playing against their rivals in Minnesota. They want to get a beat down, but come on, you're playing in your first, the biggest game in. Probably the biggest game in the team's history. Certainly the biggest game the team has had in uh, since before the 1990s. I mean, I saw there, it's the most expensive uh, wildcard game in history to get a ticket for it. It's at minimum $600. The fans and everybody who have been dying for success are getting here. And you're putting all your starters out on week 18 for some meaningless win against the Vikings? May not be meaningless to them the same way that it's never a meaningless win for United to beat City or whatever. But... Still, it's there has to be a, a bit of foresight here. And Dan Campbell again is is won a lot of hearts, and especially after the uh, the hard knocks experience. I think the fact that he has led the team that he's played for into a new era is is fantastic. And look, I think there's a lot of people rooting for the Lions here, and the Jared Goff uh, story as well. The fact that some people see him as being effectively cast aside by Los Angeles, thrown out as you know you're trash. You can go to Detroit and win get Matt Stafford, and he's actually. Uh, become a very good quarterback and is now coming against the Rams in Detroit House. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of comeback stories and there's a lot of you know blue collar underdog stuff that will make you want to root for the Lions. But I just think the decision making and the gung ho ness of it all can be a liability sometimes. And so it's it, it's one of those things where I nearly trust Detroit to keep a lead once they build it than I do to come back because if they come back and like they were in Dallas. It's 19 to 20, and they have a point, uh, point after 10. He's going to go for the two, and then things are going to mess up. And it's, you know, the, if the Vikings are a team that miss kicks uh, throughout their season and causes heartbreak, the Vikings, uh, the Detroit Lions could double out and be the team that missed two point conversions. And I'm, you know, if I was a Lions fan, 
I'd be afraid of that and I'd certainly want to get a, a pretty good start against the Rams to beat him down and hope that it doesn't go to those close decisions later on. Brian, Shane alluded to it there. There's that great uh, video going around of the NFL script writers and they couldn't have written this one better. So you have Matthew Stafford going to play against Detroit, the, you know, the, the team that he starred for for so many years in the NFL and Jared Goff playing against a team that dealt him away as the placeholder and the, the make weight in that deal. You have Tyreek Hill going to Kansas City uh, to face his former team, the Chiefs. And you've got the uh, the Texans playing the Browns, of course, uh, the infamous Deshaun Watson uh, trade in the background of that one. So uh, a lot of spicy storylines, but there's another one around this Detroit game as well. Yeah, I just want to make a quick point. Like, part of the take and I would have talked for Dan Campbell was, did they want to get out of, get away from last week's play call at the end? That obviously would have had a bit of taste in their mouth. Did they want to... Like, do you want that to be the last play which you have before you go into a playoff game? Was it a case of let's get back out there and let's play some really productive offensive football and kind of put up points, put up scores, then obviously get ourselves in the right frame of mind to go into this playoff game next weekend? I mean, this, you've talked about there, Conor, there's so many storylines going into this weekend. As you said, the NFL couldn't have asked for better storylines between even the Joe Flacco was kind of taking a week off and being the storyline. I'd imagine that will come around again this weekend. But to have... Jared Goff, like we're all talking about Matthew Stafford going back in there. Now, Jared Goff is going to be looking at this as well, saying, Sean McFay gave up on me. I was the, I was the, the quarterback that got him. I, I to, find to that fascinating because you know, we, we, we've referenced it a few times. It's a great piece for anybody who hasn't read it. The ESPN piece, the long read, you know, where the reporter was embedded with Sean McFay and his family after they won the Super Bowl. It was very, very revealing and, you know, kind of led a lot of people to nearly wonder for for Sean McVay's health because of the the the, the intensity, the near in, in, insane intensity that he that he brought to the whole thing to help get them over the line. But but Sean McVay talked about his profound guilt that he felt that he felt that he'd broken Jared Goff and he was too hard on him and he undermined his his confidence. And you know, I thought it was it's a very unusual thing for a head coach to to own up to. Um, I I find that whole narrative fascinating because I think yeah, as you say, a lot of the focus has been on oh Stafford's going to go in there and this is the booby trap for the for the Rams, but Jesus, Jared Goff will have the bit between his teeth. He'll want to tear that that thing to the ground. Yeah, you look at the deal. I know we're from three or four years removed from the match of Stafford hit. Like it was all towards the Lions. The Lions got all the picks. The Lions took on Goff's contract. It was like we just need this guy gone at this stage. You know, we're match Stafford is the guy. Then when they won the Super Bowl, he came out with fresh comments saying Sean McVay around we needed a quarterback that we could rely on to bring us to the Super Bowl. It wasn't two years removed from Jared Goff being in the Super Bowl. So as much as everybody's going on, and I know there's that Lions fans who are bearing the worst this weekend around the fact that Stafford will go in and there's even conversations to name Lions fans always bear the worst. That's that's their 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 waking nightmare. I saw a poll among the local media teams in Detroit today. You know, should we be recognising what Matthew Stafford did for the franchise and give them a respectful return, or should we be building the the effing out of him throughout the course of the game, which is the best word? And it was a split majority. Oh, you know, go Philadelphia on him, like rain down the booms. Well, game's I, over. <laughs> Galatasaray, they should be, they should be having the flair. That, that it, <laughs> Welcome to hell. The people are suggesting that uh, this is a perfect game for the, for the for the Rams. I think in many ways it's also a perfect game for the Lions. I mean, let's be fair. The Lions have put up an average twenty odd points a home game throughout the course of the season. A couple of weeks ago, they were written off. We're going against the Broncos, as people were saying. The, the Lions have struggled. They hit a rebound that night and they put up 40 odd points. I mean, the Rams are going to have to live with them. And in fairness, the Rams have had great success offensively. But they're going to, like, this has a, a bit ding dong, shootout feel about it. And, like, I think the Lions can live with them. And the Rams' defense over the course of the last few weeks, um, like, 
teams have gone at them. The Giants put up over 300 yards of offense last week in a struggling Giants offense. I know it's not like for like game for game, but teams have put numbers up on them. The defense has re- rebounded well, but I still think they're there to be got it. I think the Lions have a real crack at this the, on so Sunday night. The, the only thing I'm, I'm going to add to that very quickly is just the reason why oh, I think that the Rams can do something is the fact that it, it, it's in Detroit, and I know that the, the Rams necessarily don't always have a, a fantastic home advantage, so playing away from home probably is a little bit easier than with others. But I think that the Detroit crowd is actually something that could work to the Rams' favour if they manage to just put a bit of nerves into them. All it takes is for a shaky pass or for a turnover in the third quarter, uh, heading into the fourth quarter. And the Rams will be like, you know what, we have these guys in the ropes, let's go for the kill. These Detroit fans are desperate for success because they've been so starred of it. So that the second that, that the rug starts being pulled, I think there, it, it has the capacity for things to go wrong very quickly. I could be wrong, but I think that if it's a close game going in the end, I think the Rams have the edge. It's up to Detroit to, as you say, Brian, you know, to say that this, this is our house, put the stamp on it for Jarek off to look at the Rams and decide, you know what, I'm going to get you from the start. If the, the Detroit don't win the game in the first half, I think they're going to lose in the second. Brian, you, you mentioned teams that uh, you know have have been shaky enough defensively. The, the Dolphins, and you know we we've harped on this quite a lot during the season. Beat a lot of sub five hundred teams, padded their record a little bit, blew their shot at winning the division over the weekend. And you know we've talked about how it was really a lot more about them, the things that they didn't do, than the things that the Bills necessarily did in terms of you know not being able to stop the punt return, two bad interceptions by Tua. You know, they have played three playoff teams on their schedule this year, and they've lost by an aggregate of 91 points over those three games. Two, one bad beat against the Bills um, and a really bad beat down by the, by the Ravens. Um, the suspicion remains that this is, this is a relatively lightweight team. Now, if you want to allay that suspicion, the best thing to do is go to Arrowhead and turn the Chiefs over. Yeah, they're one and five, I believe, based on the teams that are in the playoffs, they are one and five this season in terms of beating teams that have landed in the playoffs that we know through was on Christmas Eve against the Cowboys when the only five field goals they didn't even score a touchdown in that, in that particular game look they've got a lot of injuries like let's be fair Tyreek Hill as well last night he seemed to be getting up time and time again and he was struggling Waddles out offensive line struggles banged up on, on defence he touched on last weekend against the Ravens when they knew that game was completely gone they should have been taking players out of that game focusing on this week they didn't they? Like, so again we're talking about the Lions playing players unnecessary. That was the same last week. They're struggling without certain players in key positions on my touchdown. Eli Apple plays and he'll give you a few nice plays during the game, but ultimately he's not consistent enough to, to manage the nice fatigues. And it's Eli Apple who still doesn't know where Zay Flowers went from last week and he comes up with a big interception in fairness to But over the course of the game, as the game went on, gradually Stefan Diggs got the grips from him. That's the problem with the likes of that player. They haven't got players that can ultimately come in and step in and keep the show on the road defensively and when the offense was struggling for nice parts of the season defense stepped up like we saw that we touched on the repeat of that game which was the one in London which is the Chiefs and how well that defense played in the second half to allow that offense to come back but you're right like they still think like, let's let's like, we're looking at this game in isolation but where the teams are right now After, you, you would still give them a puncher's chance of going in there if they were to get back to some kind of form which we saw earlier in the season and the Chiefs play to the inconsistent nature of what we've seen over the last few weeks but I thought last night was a big one. I know people were saying, oh, well, if they win, they'll play the Bills again. But it's not easy to play at home this week, play at home next week, and potentially play at home the following week. Like, as Shane has alluded to earlier, with the Bills potentially playing now two home games in a row, I think it feels like this is the last opportunity in the last season for the Dolphins, which had so many, so many positives, but 
people call them the fraud squad for a reason and understand they're going to play out that way in, in, in many ways. Uh, before we wrap, I wanted to look at a couple of teams who, who fell outside the playoff bracket, unfortunately, for them, teams for whom really it all went wrong. And um, Top of the pile for me, Shane, is, is the Jags. I mean, one minute, they're 8-3. We were talking about them in the conversation for the AFC one seed at that point. Um, since then, they've gone 1-6. and six. They went from potentially clinching the division over the weekend to being out of the playoffs, losing to the Titans, who had nothing to play for. It wasn't supposed to end this way. In fairness to the Titans, they, uh, every game they've played, they've they ran close and they were never going to be an easy game. But still, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars should have had this division sewn up three weeks ago. Never mind leaving to the last day to try and go into Tennessee uh, and, and get a result. It seems it, it, it seems like they, they just uh, Jacksonville is just not suited to prime time. Because they went in, I believe it was the week of, of Thanksgiving around that time, into Houston. What was billed and what I was, what a lot of people were very much looking forward to as a winner takes all for the AFC South. They go in, they win that game, their second win against the, the Texans that year. They were on a pretty good run after a decent start, plus two very good games in London. And then it, it, it all completely collapsed on, was a Sunday night or Monday night football, one or the other, when they played against the Bengals and Trevor Lawrence goes out injured. And it, it you know, once, once that one central cog was removed, or there was some question marks over it. Everything just started falling apart on defense. They uh, didn't have the same level of confidence. Their, their version of Josh Allen hasn't played well, but you know, and that was never their strength anyway. And it and it it, it kind of took a step back. Uh, Trevor Lawrence came back, and you could tell by just the amount of plays and the amount of time they were relying on him to make plays and to pass the ball and to run the ball as well. That they just uh, that once he lost that ten percent. The entire team just did not know where to pick up. If you if you're relying so much on the one player, you haven't got a running back to give it to you. You haven't got a tight end or receiver that can you, you can give it short or can make good yards after catch. It's very difficult to to maintain momentum. That injury to Trevor Lawrence was bad, and they rushed him back from injury too quickly. I think he didn't really get time to fully recalibrate himself after what many feared when he went off the pitch would be a season ending injury. I was shocked when he came back the following week to play, and sure enough, you know they. They've suffered the consequences. They've lost five of the last six. There's going to be a lot of questions about Doug Peterson and the organization in general, how they managed the end of the season. Because it just it is not good enough. They have a team and they're in a division which is very winnable. They have a team which they can get far uh, into the playoffs. And they just completely made a mess of it near the end of the season. And I don't really know what you know where, where the excuses lie on this. Because it's just, you know, it's we, we talk about the Eagles losing five of their last six. And there's a lot of question marks there over there, coordinators. But the Jags, like that is, you know, here's a chance to get a, a two seed, really. If they had kept the momentum, they probably would have finished with a better record than uh, than the Bills. They might not have got the one seed, but completely collapse out of the playoffs. It's just frankly unacceptable. Brian, the thing about the Jags last year was, you know, they were the comeback kings. They were able to erase these, these double-digit deficits. But the question was how they kept getting themselves into that trouble in the first place. And that was something they were supposed to have addressed this year. Their defense certainly took a big step forward, but the offense, unfortunately, and yes, the injury injuries to Trevor Lawrence certainly played a part in that, took a step back, and that cost them bad. Yeah, but you touched on it earlier on in the season, Connor. There's only so many times you can be down by 10, 12 points, and you, li- you die. You live on the sword, you die by the sword. You can't always find a way to materialize a comeback. They were 44% on fourth downs over the course of the season, but yet Doug Peterson continued to go for fourth downs I know we're getting into the granular detail of games, but they were down by two scores yesterday. 
he went from 40 on as opposed to taking a field goal. If he had taken that field goal, bear in mind it in, and a follow-up drive by touchdown, they would have been in a position where that Everton stretch would have been to take the lead. In fact, if they hadn't gone for that on fourth down and taken another field goal, then the final drive may have materialised to them only needing a field goal to win the game. Sometimes, as I keep saying, old school, take the points and see what comes of it. You can't continuously go for fourth downs. They did it a lot last season. They got away from it many times. And obviously, it can, this is what fans want to see. They want to see more attractive offense and go from fourth down. But sometimes, you have to go to play the Play the game. Take the points. Because ultimately, yesterday, again, I felt it cost. Brian's the one in Parnell Spar Park screaming, take your point, take your point. Like players go for goal. Yeah, you are, you, well, look, some people have a more. Let's see Let's see how conservative certain head coaches are come this weekend in third and fourth <laughs> quarter when there's three-point gimme field goals on, on offer. They, they gladly take the points. Look, over the course of the season, they... I was looking at who they beat over the course of the season. They won two games in London. It's fair to say that the Falcons were a very poor force game with James Atwood. We'll call them the following week. They got the Bills on the right side at the right time. People were obviously then, after that game, the big storyline was the fact that they were there for two weeks. They beat the Texans, fair enough, on the road. They beat the, they beat the Saints. They beat teams who had struggled over the course of the season when they came up against bigger and better sides. He touched on Trevor Lawrence coming back. He came back against the Browns on the road. That was a difficult game in itself. Like they 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 struggled against better teams over the course of the season, but at the same time, they they got ahead of themselves. We spoke, Connor. We talked about them being potentially in the in the running for one. I wonder where they're getting caught up. Where they smelling themselves, as we like to say. Got going to that Bengals game on the Monday night. No one gave them no gave the Bengals a prayer. The Bengals go and beat them in overtime. Shane, the final team I have in the where did it all go wrong category, and this might be slightly unfair, is is the Vikings. And it's more for where the, the season is finished up and, and, and the tricky off-season ahead maybe than necessarily that they did anything wrong. Kirk Cousins goes down. Justin Jefferson is out for a crucial chunk of the season. They never recovered from that. You know, they got that magic performance from Josh Dobbs and that maybe gave us a little bit of a false dawn as far as the Vikings were concerned. But, you know, for a team that went... 13-4 and four last year and, you know, surged into the playoffs in, a, in an unlikely way, having won all those close games despite having a negative point differential. Um, we had talked about it, you know, here on the show at the start of the season, how the Vikings might play as well as they did last year. We'll finish with a worse record. In many respects, that's kind of what happened. They certainly stepped forward on defense, which, which was their big defect last year. Um, but unfortunately, they finished the season on a real low, um, beaten in that game by the Lions, really, you know, carpeted by... Packers the previous week and question marks now over what happens at the quarterback position and uh, whether they're in full rebuild mode now from here. Yeah, I mean, here's a team that was walking uh, on a tightrope going into the season anyway. I mean, it's somewhat in parallel to the Steelers now, only I guess with more uh, positive uh, media coverage and talk around the Vikings last year than the, than the Steelers have now. But like, as soon as we got into the start of the season and the Vikings start coming against opponents where they started losing these close games or they started losing quite bad, you knew it was going to be a much tougher season. And look, I thought they had the talent to, to, to keep up appearances. But I mean, they went in at the start and they lost their they lost their first three games to, by three points to the Bucks, by I think it was 12 points or a little bit less than that to the Eagles and then uh, in a close game to the Chargers of all teams. I mean, once they had that, that, that 0-3 uh beginning we knew it was going to be quite tough and that was before uh the the, the quarterback situation after quarterback situation kept hitting the team it, it's you know it's the vikings have been a very interesting watch uh i i don't know how uh 
the, the fans have necessarily felt because it's just uh, uh, the second that you thought that the season was going to get back on track, another strong wind came off uh, the Great Lakes and and pushed them back off that title up again. And it was just, you know, and I don't I don't think their team has much to worry about in the long term. They just need to find a way to settle their quarterback situation. I don't know whether they're trying to make a move from the draft or whether there is another player who could fit in because I'm not quite sure if Kirk Cousins is going to stick around. You know, Nick Mullins and the Pastronaut or anybody else who they've had there obviously is not a long-term situation. You know, that is going to be the big question mark because in anything else, I think their, their defensive philosophy is different. You know, everyone's saying how you know how they love to blitz. Calm loves saying how they, they love to blitz, they love to put the pressure on. And that's fine, you know, that's a way to play and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, they're, they're in a division which is tough uh, in in fairness to them. Uh, they've, they've had a tough run of games but as soon as they got to that 0-3 start, it was very difficult for them to sort of get any grip onto the season. And I think it's, you know, we, we're, we're talking a lot about here at the end of the season about how, you know, what what teams need to do to make to the playoffs. But when you only have 17 games in a season, there isn't a part of the year that is more important than the other. This is, uh, the Vikings are a good uh, case study in to why the winning your early games uh, is important because the Eagles won their early games and they still managed to make the playoffs. The Vikings didn't and that's how, uh, that's where they managed to take their step back. Brian, it would be sad from a Vikings perspective and from a Cousins perspective if the last Kirk Cousins highlight is him when to stop off and the chain's out before the Packers game. Unfortunately, that did not prove to be the harbinger of good times ahead for uh, for, for the Vikings in that game because they got a beat down as we were discussing. But, I mean, if he goes, there's definitely a market for him, you would think, particularly the way he was playing this season. I was, he, you know, he obviously had a, a little bit of a difficult start to season, but he got, he got it back on track. Yeah, it's... There's, look, there's going to be many of them out there that need a proper, you know, solid quarterback. And he, he like, you could argue he's top 10 type of quarterback, but ultimately it's going to come down to, like, what kind of contract? Because, for example, he had a play the season, Connor, and he had a just missed out on the playoffs, but he had a really productive season. Where does where does he sit in terms of the contract that's an offer? The fact that he's had this injury, is he going to is the power gone? You know, in terms of him negotiating the contract, or is the team going to say we trust in the medics and the, the medical staff that you've got over this serious injury because it is a serious injury, and he comes back and he plays at the same level. I mean, we the difficulty he comes back next year and he doesn't play at the same level in which he did this year or, or previous year when they made the playoffs and they're they're strapped into a two or three year contract. I think everybody's going to be looking at the Broncos situation and what's happened over the course of the last two years with Russell Wilson. And a little bit kind of hesitant to throw out these contracts. They're picking 11th in the draft. I think ultimately they'll probably try to the back end or whatever quarterback, whether it's a Penix or, or Bo Nix or something like that, and, and move on from Cousins. But Cousins will certainly get his opportunity. It's where he ends up. I wonder is, is Denver the type of place, or even New England type of place in which he could end up next season. Back to Washington. Once more Potentially, yeah, it's another like that. Sure, he'd like that. It's yeah, <laughs> different dynamic now. Like you know, he's he's so many years removed from the Washington, from the go back to it wouldn't yeah. feel the same. No, Dan Snyder, new ownership group. Depends who they bring in as head coach. Kirk Cousins, obviously, as anybody who watched quarterback knows, is literally the nicest man in the world. You know, if you want a culture change in an organization, Kirk is the man you you bring in and be the equivalent of an exorcism in that place. Well, I don't know this in, in terms of sorry, just in terms of Kirk Cousins, whether he's been the kind of guy to bring into somewhere that has a young quarterback, but they don't want to start him yet. The same way that Aaron Rodgers kind of brought up Jordan Love for a little bit, that they might try to. to, to, to did did Jordan Love because of Aaron Rodgers or in spite of Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I'm, I'm still wondering about that one. Well, I'm not getting into that, but take that as a kind of as a kind of model, as in 
let's say hypothetically here, Carolina want to bring him in to try and help Bryce Young settle, or if if Washington want to uh, draft somewhere a little bit lower, uh, you know, they bring in a, a young quarterback, but to have Kirk Cousins do a job for a year, for a year or two, and 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 let somebody progress. I don't know if Kirk Cousins might be the type of person who would be suited to that, but at the same time, who you know, who in the league? There's only so many quarterbacks going around. There aren't 30, 32 franchise quarterbacks. Who in the league is gonna is gonna make that decision? It's an interesting one. I'm not quite sure. I'm not really not quite sure what his future looks like. Well, I'm telling you, uh, apart from our shredded upper bods and our penchant for for rocking the the gold drip, the other thing that all three of us have in common with Kirk Cousins is we will be watching the playoffs from our couches over the over the following couple of weeks. And boy, do we like that because we're really looking forward to. It. We'll have plenty more content for you. Um, as the playoffs unfold, we might even grow our playoff beards while we're at it.